From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., the Wisconsin Republican Party held its annual state convention over the weekend in Green Bay. About 300 people attended the two-day in-person event in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. Masks were available to every convention goer, but few wore them, and it appeared many participants were not practicing social distancing. The GOP took the opposite approach of state Democrats, who held an all-virtual convention last month over the course of three hours. Speakers at the Republican convention included State Senate Majority Leader Scott Fitzgerald, Wisconsin U.S. Senator Ron Johnson, who was the only speaker to appear by video, and a couple of top advisors to President Trump. They blasted Democrats for, quote, allowing mobs to destroy our cities, and referred to Trump as a law-and-order president who would win over black voters in November. Democrats dismissed the comments as rhetoric laced with lies and conspiracy theories. So what were some of your takeaways from the GOP convention? Well, a lot of the speakers at the convention really embraced kind of the president's line of thinking last couple weeks that he has an opening if he makes a selection or makes an appeal ahead of the selection to people were unhappy seeing protesters turning violent, um, people tearing down statues that he can make an appeal as a law and order president. Uh, the president has had issues with suburban voters, especially suburban women. There is a line of thinking among some Republicans that those uh, female suburban voters who maybe not be happy with the president also don't like to see uh, violence in cities so that maybe there's an opening there. But really, they're embracing that line of thinking, Republicans in general, are embracing that line of thinking and that argument to lay out this is what the election is going to be about. It's about uh, our history, uh, people trying to erase our history, people who are out of control, that he's a law and order president and make it about that. Because, you know, looking beyond just that message, there's a big question out there is whether the president can make this election turn into a, a choice between him and Joe Biden or if there's going to be a, a pure referendum on Trump. Was the size of the gathering, 300 people, indicative of anything? It's interesting. This is one of the first large in-person political events since the pandemic began. I mean, uh, Vice President Pence had a rally uh, recently, uh, but this is the first time we've had something like this happen. So it's, it's hard to say what an expectation would be. Now, four years ago, Republicans had about 1,200 people uh, meet for their state convention. So we're talking like a quarter of that. Um, so I, I really don't know whether it was something we expected or not. And the question kind of now is, okay, so we had this event. One, hopefully there'll be no spikes of cases out of this. Two, does it open the door to any more in-person events? Or are we still going to have people hesitant to do in-person things between now and until we have this pandemic's a little more in control? Which party's approach, in-person or virtual, was more effective at getting the message across in the important battleground state of Wisconsin? State conventions are more about kind of a pep rally for the faithful, the people who stuff the envelopes, who make the phone calls, who hand out yard signs. It gives them a little bit of a kind of a, a juice out of the election. I mean, I don't know that either got more attention than they would have. I mean, you could argue that the Democrats, for example, if there had been some high-profile um, surrogate for Joe Biden who had came in, maybe gotten a little more attention. But I don't know that really 
these things make or break an election. Again, it's more of a, a pep rally for those who really kind of are the, the party activists who need a little bit of a drilling kick ahead of November. Of course, on that front, you could argue that we've been running on adrenaline for so long in Wisconsin. Can you get any more pumped up at this point if you're somebody who's involved in party politics? Because it's been one thing after another. Uh, we know we are the possibly the tipping point or one of the tipping points of selections. So, I mean, people are already tuned in as it is. Also last week, Governor Tony Evers flirted with the idea of instituting a statewide mask requirement, but he said it would have to pass legal muster first. Some cities, including Milwaukee, are considering or adopting their own mask requirements. Do you think Evers will work out a lawsuit-proof policy and eventually require Wisconsinites to wear masks? One, there is some debate whether the, president, or the governor I'm sorry, has the power to issue a mask mandate statewide. So far, he's not seen to be interested in doing that. And if he did, I'm pretty sure he'd be sued. Two, uh, the way to work one out without having to worry about lawsuit is to work out a, a rule with lawmakers, Republican lawmakers who run both houses of legislature. He could start the, emergency, the administrative rules process tomorrow and propose a mask policy. However, I just don't see right now a path to get Republicans on board with the idea of requiring masks. They don't seem interested in that idea. And there's basically zero working relationship right now between the governor and legislators. So sort of working out some kind of deal with lawmakers doesn't look like it's going to happen. And if he did try to do it, it would definitely end up in a lawsuit. In another development, the conservative-controlled Wisconsin Supreme Court upheld some of the laws that Republicans passed in late 2018 before Evers and Attorney General Josh Call, who are both Democrats, took office. Those laws stripped the two of many of their powers. So what are Evers and Call restricted from doing now, and is this the final say? Uh, no, it's not the final say because there are still some open questions after the ruling. So there are a couple of different provisions of the extraordinary session laws that were challenged. For example, whether the Department of Justice has to submit settlements to lawmakers for review, whether the legislature can intervene in a lawsuit, um, the court upheld the constitutionality of, or rejected a challenge to that law say, that was basically argued was unconstitutional in every instance. Um, and let's focus on that because the court basically said it's called a, a facial challenge, which means it's a challenge on its face that the law is unconstitutional in any situation and therefore should be overturned. The court in its ruling said, look, you know, here are a couple of examples where it could be constitutional, such as if a lawmaker is the, the party in the lawsuit. Therefore, because the bar is so high that in a facial challenge, you have to prove it's unconstitutional in every situation, you haven't met that, that, that bar. However, the court didn't answer a lot of questions about, okay, here are some examples of where it's being applied. So there is a door wide open right now for another challenge to go back to the court and say, okay, here's an instance where, just for example, in theory, uh, Josh Call, the Democratic Attorney General, submitted a settlement to Republican lawmakers, and they rejected it. And Call says, that's not fair. We should go to court. So they'll go back to court and try and hash it out then. There are all kinds of situations like that that are going to require more more lawsuits to figure out where the lines actually are with the Department of Justice and what it can and can't do. So this is by no means done. Um, and the, the question going forward again is, all right, so if this didn't solve it, what, how many more lawsuits do we need to have to actually put a limit there or draw a clear, clear bright line 
for Josh Call and what he can do, what he has to do to work with lawmakers on various things. And finally, Republicans in the legislature are asking Governor Evers to use federal relief money to provide forgivable loans to 140,000 Wisconsinites who are still waiting to be paid unemployment benefits from when the coronavirus hit and businesses shut down in March. Has the governor responded to this request, and what are the chances that he'll use federal CARES money for this purpose? No, he hasn't responded. I don't think that they're... A lot of interest from the governor's office in doing that. I mean, for one thing, look, in talking to people on both sides of the aisle, you know, the governor, his administration erred in not acting quicker to address the unemployment insurance issues. If they had done something quicker, moved pieces around more, been more aggressive, that maybe could have helped them with that. But also, done a fairly poor job of messaging what they're trying to do. That said, they're not, they're now up to have tripled the number of uh, people who are working on unemployment insurance claims compared to before the pandemic began. Um, their focus is there. I, in talking to people, I can't see a reason why the governor's administration would say, okay, we're all our focus has been on DWD, Department of Workforce Development, and trying to fix the issues there. But instead of putting all of attention there, we're going to all of a sudden open up a new program to try and get people, the same people trying to serve with unemployment, to get them money for the care... I just have not gotten an idea that's gotten a whole lot of traction. It's just another example of Republicans trying to put pressure on the governor, saying, look, you're not doing enough, and we're going to make you you know, kind of keep putting the pressure on you because they think it makes him look bad and that he's fumbled the ball when it comes to the unemployment problem. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.